Please have a seat. Uh, good morning. This morning, Psalm 137 is, uh, is quite a challenging uh, psalm, but I think it has quite a lot uh, to say to us uh, as the people of God in this place this morning. In the summer of 1941, the Polish town of Jedwabne, in that town, a massacre took place. And there were roughly 1,600 men, women, and children who were rounded up that day and were beaten mercilessly. Newborn babies were killed at their mother's breasts. The adults were pushed into a barn. That barn was then doused in kerosene and set alight by their non-Jewish neighbors. The story is shocking, but actually it's more than shocking because in the middle of this almost unspeakable agony and torture, the Jewish people that day were forced by their captors to sing and dance. Cruelty to other people is one of the things that can provoke real anger in us. Thankfully, none of us here will ever face, we hope, the kind of suffering that the Jews faced at Jedwabne that day in 1941. But there's not a single person here today who will not face and experience anger for one reason or another. There are people in this country, perhaps even you, who witnessed firsthand some of the most cruel events of what we now call the Troubles. And years later, it can be hard to let go of the anger and the pain. There are people here today, almost certainly every single person here today, who will have witnessed, if not experienced themselves directly, injustice, cruelty, discrimination, bullying, persecution, physical violence, or emotional violence. Having it happen to us is one thing. I don't know about you, but I find it even more difficult and there's more of a sense of anger in me when I watch it happening to other people. Jesus Christ became angry at times, notably with the Pharisees trying to score points against him. So I think it's really important that we are clear right at the beginning today that anger in itself is not a sin. But what we do with anger can lead to sin. And so this morning, I want us to ask this. What is the Christ-like way to deal with anger? And in this second week of this series called Hearts on Fire, what do we do when our hearts blaze with indignation? The title of today's sermon uh, was originally A Conversation with God. 
I simply want to change one word in that title. I want to add the word honest. I want us this morning to have an honest conversation with God, to bring those things to God that far too often we bury away and deny even experiencing. Because when we do that, when we bury away anger, it destroys our souls. When we take matters into our own hands, it leads to sin. So this morning, I want to encourage us to submit our anger to God. Now, a few moments ago, I mentioned the horrific events of Jed Wabney in 1941, and I did that for a very specific reason. And the reason is this. What happened there that day directly reenacts verses 3 and 9 of Psalm 137 that God has directed us to this morning. And as I said earlier, I appreciate that this is a very challenging uh, piece of Scripture. It's even a shocking piece of Scripture when we read particularly those last few verses. You're not going to hear too many sermons in your lifetime on Psalm 137. This is most certainly not, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It is nothing like that, not here. This is a psalm that is full of pain, that is full of this deep cry of anger to God about something that has happened. And yet it is the Word of God, and it is extremely important that we hear it and that we obey it, because horrible things happen in life. Painful things happen in this broken world of ours. And in our human emotion, every single one of us is prone to anger and rage and bitterness, and God sees all of that, and He understands that if we don't deal with it correctly, it can rip people apart and then it rips families apart, and then it rips friendships apart, and then it rips whole societies apart. But it need not be that way. The context of this psalm is a specific incident in history. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Now, we don't know the identity of the person who wrote this psalm, But what we do know is that he was an eyewitness to that destruction, that barbaric destruction. And we know that there were two things about all of that that he never forgot. The first was something that the Edomites did. Now, Edom was a neighboring country, and so the Edomites were like kin to the Israelites. And yet, when the Babylonians invaded, when they besieged Israel, what did the Edomites do? Did they stand shoulder by shoulder with their brothers and sisters? Did they defend their brothers and sisters? They did none of that. They cheered. Verse 7, tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. The psalmist never forgot 
the Edomites' glee at Jerusalem's destruction. It must have been one of the cruelest things, if not the cruelest thing, that he lived through. The second thing was the Babylonian soldiers grabbing Jewish babies and little children from their mums and dads and brutally killing them. Now, you can imagine, or can you? Can any of us really truly imagine how the psalmist felt watching this? The memories of these cruelties were seared into his mind like a trauma and made him really angry. Now, when we feel anger in life, I want to suggest that it doesn't come necessarily, hopefully, from events like this. But there are so many events in life that do cause us to feel anger. And I believe that there are three lessons the Lord is pointing us to this morning as we try to learn from his word about anger. And the first lesson is this. We need to take responsibility for our anger. The Israelite who wrote this psalm was a singer and a musician. When he was taken into exile in Babylon, his captors said, sing us a song, sing us one of those happy Zion songs, sing us one of your songs about how Jerusalem is the city of your God and the joy of the whole earth. What was he doing? Mocking him, tormenting him, taunting him, effectively saying, where is your great God now? I guess it was cruel and it was nasty and it was spiteful. And all you have to do is spend five minutes on social media today and you will see that the same attitudes uh, towards God still exist. What did the psalmist do in the midst of it? He refused to play. He refused to sing along. He said to himself, I'm not going to conform with this. I'm not going to bow down to your demand and pretend that all is okay here. I'm not going to make excuses and say I might as well go along with what they want, otherwise worse could follow, anything for a quiet life. He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm going to remember what was done to Jerusalem. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to pretend that all is well here. And I'm not going to suppress the anger that I feel at watching this. Now, I think we tend to consider anger as being a purely negative response. I think we tend to think of it as something that God's people should never experience. There's something wrong with us if we're anger, if we're angry. We aren't as holy as other people if we get angry. And yet anger is one of God's qualities. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every single day. So when we see wickedness threatening or ruining something, someone that is good, we are right to be angry. Because God is angry when he sees nastiness, when he sees cruelty and persecution and bullying and violence. But what we do with that anger is the crucial thing. 
I want you to hear what God says through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You'll notice that he doesn't say, don't be angry because anger is sin. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Because if we don't handle anger properly, the devil will use it to gain a foothold and to cause even more pain and destruction. So be angry. That's fine. But don't let anger lead you into sin. And don't let anger fester. Remember Paul's words that I mentioned a moment ago. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. So do not let it linger. Do not let it fester. Do not let it eat you up. Don't deny it's happening. Don't pretend you're not angry. Don't be embarrassed about it and tell yourself that you'd better put on a front and people, his people think that you're not very holy. Don't try and bury it away, because if you do, it will bury you in a heap of recrimination and bitterness. If the writer of Psalm 137 had looked at those menacing Babylonian soldiers and just picked up his harp and sung a song and said, I might as well just get on with it, he would have let the sun go down on his anger. He would have buried his anger, and it would have become the root of deep bitterness and resentment. Don't do that. Own it. Own your anger. Because when you own it, you control it. Say, what these people are doing is wrong. The cruelty, the pain, the gloating that I see, this is evil. And yes, I'm angry about it. And yes, I want justice over it. Own your anger. But then hand it over to God. How do we do that? Well, we do it through prayer. And this goes against everything that the world out there teaches us. We are told by the world out there that there are two ways to deal with anger. One, get over it. Move on. Try to forget about it. But you can't. That's not how it works. It lingers. It festers. And it eats you up. It destroys you. And then it destroys all of those around you. And the second thing the world says is, get your own back. Take vengeance, vent, plot, scheme. And where does that lead? It leads to this vicious cycle of destruction because the devil then gets a foothold on this sort of anger. There is a higher way. There is a better way to deal with anger, and that involves us learning the discipline of praying our anger to God. So what does the psalmist say when he prays? Well, it's interesting. In verse 7, he says, Remember, O Lord, remember what the Edomites did. Remember what the Babylonian soldiers did. 
And when the Old Testament uses the word remember, it doesn't mean to recollect something. It means do something about it. When God said, I will remember my promise to Abraham, what he was saying was, I will act on that promise. So the psalmist here is praying, Lord, you've seen these terrible things. Remember, i.e., please act on them. Please do something about this. And then we get to those difficult verses at the end. In his human brokenness, the psalmist, yes, hands his anger over to God, but also, and we can't get away from this, we see him ask God to take revenge on his persecutors. They killed our children, Lord. Happy is the one who seizes their children and kills them. So yes, he appeals to God for justice rather than taking matters into his own hands. But what he asks God to do is quite shocking when we read it. There are two things that we need to say here. The first is this. We shouldn't jump to conclusions that the psalmist is being literal here. The psalms use lots of poetic language, and for that reason, he could just well be saying, Lord, you are the judge. You execute justice. Let the punishment fit the crime. But whatever he's saying, whether he's being literal or whether he's being poetic, the truth is this. When we hand over our anger to God, when we hand over a situation to God, we then surrender control of it to him because we trust that he has the power to deal with injustice, that he will deal with it in his way because he puts in place the operation of justice, not us. It is the Lord who reveals the deep things of darkness and brings darkness into light. And so when we pray our anger to God, what we're also doing is trusting in his judgment. And we're trusting in his timing as well. And I don't stand here today saying that that is easy. It is emphatically not. But it is the only way to find peace. Sometimes God will allow the wheels of justice to turn rapidly. Sometimes he will put in place quickly the conditions that allow for justice to happen. And those are powerful moments of blessing that we should be thankful for but sometimes we don't see it, at least in this life. And that can be a real challenge and a real test. The psalmist did not live to see God's justice against Babylon. But we know how the story of Babylon ends. Because in Revelation chapter 18, in the vision of the end times, a voice from heaven is recorded as saying this about Babylon. Her sins are piled up to heaven. And God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. 
pour her a double portion from her own cup. We have the assurance that justice in God's world is always done in the end. Justice is poured out. It is God who judges. God does not forget injustice. God is angry at injustice, and God does not let evil go unpunished. Later in Revelation, we read this. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. You see, Babylon stands for all oppressors. Babylon stands for all evildoers. Babylon stands for all who perpetuate cruelty and then gloat over it. But God will deal with cruelty and violence and nastiness and oppression and evil and gloating. And justice can be devastating. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. This presents us with another challenge. Yes, we pray for justice, but we also pray for repentance. In Luke chapter 19, when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, the crowds were singing his praises, and yet he knew that by the end of the week, they would nail him to a tree. And they would reject him and turn from him, and that they would be judged for it. He began to prophesy their judgment, and he said this, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do you notice the words that Jesus uses here? The words that he uses to describe what would happen to them? They come right out of Psalm 137. Jesus said that day that, his en that enemies would come against Jerusalem and dash the children to the ground and not leave one stone on another. That's what he prophesied. And that's exactly what happened in the year 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Throughout the Bible, justice happens. But justice in and of itself is not the end of the story. Because as Jesus was speaking words of justice, we are told that in his love, 
in his mercy, in his forgiveness, he wept. The heart of Jesus Christ demands justice, but it always offers grace to those who turn from their ways. The heart of Jesus Christ is to grieve for people ruined by sin. The heart of Jesus Christ is to desire their salvation before it is too late. The heart of Jesus Christ is to forgive even those who tormented him on the cross. If you are here today and there are people who have wronged you, maybe it was recently, maybe it was many, many years ago, but the pain and the anger are still there. Maybe it's even people in your family. Maybe it's even your nearest and dearest who turned on you. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you. If you are here today and you struggle with this, if you have anger about an injustice committed against you or against someone you love, then hand that anger over to God. Trust in his justice. Trust in his timing. Pray for justice. Pray that these people might turn from their evil. Pray that they may be spared what is to come. Pray that justice on this earth would be used as an opportunity to point people to the higher throne of God and to convince them to repent and avoid a worse justice still. And as you do so, weep for them. Weep for them and cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let us pray.